Every year, the session has a different focus that we bring up from time to time. Um, this coming year, it's going to be on outreach and evangelism and the Great Commission and other ways in which the church can impact uh, the world. Uh, next week, Gary's going to be preaching on the Great Commission. Uh, today, I want to look at how there is a tight relationship of God's law and His righteousness to the gospel that uh, we are called to preach. I think too many times we have such a low view of the demands of the law that uh, we feel like we're doing pretty good. We can, we can keep it. I think it was uh, J. Gresham Machen who said that the most crying need of the hour is not more preaching of the gospel, but a greater preaching of the law. Because as we understand the law and its demands and our utter hopelessness in the face of the law, we come to appreciate the gospel. If you can read the Ten Commandments without being convicted, I would encourage you to do a little exercise sometime. Read through the larger catechism's exposition of the Ten Commandments, and especially all of the proof texts that are given underneath, and I will be surprised if you do not come to tears before Almighty God at how many ways in which we violate those laws, especially. They're just a summary of God's law as a whole. It's a, it's a marvelous exposition. Now, the reason that we read the law before we come to the Lord's table is to impress upon our minds that we do not come to this table in our own worthiness. Not at all. We come in the righteousness of Christ. And for our communion meditation, I want to bring the comfort of the gospel through the name Yehovah Sidkenu, or as it's sometimes pronounced, Jehovah Sidkenu. It means the Lord, our righteousness. And uh, if you would like, uh, please turn with me to Jeremiah 23. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 6. And actually, before I read that, let me give you the context of those verses, uh, which were describing the sinfulness of Israel, and uh, that uh, there could be no salvation through their own good works. He was impressing that because of their desperate wickedness. And there could be no salvation through their religious leaders, because their religious leaders were a mess. And it couldn't be through the king, because he was a mess, and it couldn't be through Jeremiah. Jeremiah himself is convicted by God's law. When we are in ourselves, and we come before God's law, God's law judges us. It, it, we all stand condemned, because his standard is absolute perfection, and not one of us is perfect. Uh, so... Prior to our salvation, because we have all of this sin around us, God could not embrace us to himself. In fact, the scripture says that uh, he has to hate uh, our sin. And it says he hates all workers of iniquity. Uh, counterfeit uh, religion downplays God's righteousness and their version of salvation. And they have to downplay the, the requirements of the law, otherwise they would continually stand condemned. But biblical salvation is amazing in the way it highlights God's righteousness rather than diminishing it. And so let's read this passage together. It's Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, or Jehovah, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Now, to raise to David means that one of David's descendants, one of his branches, needs to be a branch of righteousness. And of course, that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, who never sinned. He was uh, perfectly holy. 
Verse 5 goes on to describe his work. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. And the Hebrew is Yehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Uh, Jeremiah is indicating that the only way that we could be declared righteous is through a substitute who would bear our sins. He would, as it were, become legally sin for us, and then to give us his righteousness so that legally we are treated as perfectly righteous. How do we have assurance of our salvation? People have come to me about that uh, a number of times, and it's not by looking within. It's by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Uh, who provides our righteousness. He is Jehovah Tzidkenu. And when you begin to realize that your entire hope of salvation is pleading Jesus's all-sufficiency, you have absolutely no fear of the law. Okay? Uh, people can point out your sinfulness, and it doesn't cast you down. And the reason it doesn't cast you down is you know you're a thousand times more sinful than anybody could expose in your life. Uh, you, you know that for, for a fact. Scripture says, what is man that he could be pure? And he was born of a woman that he could be righteous. If God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah tells us that uh, any good that we might do is polluted by sin, which makes our righteousnesses, which we do have, our righteousnesses appear as filthy rags. That is, if they are not covered with his righteousness in justification. Scripture asks, how then can man be righteous before God, or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? And the answer is that the very righteousness of God that condemns us is also a righteousness that is a solution. It gives us justification. It's exactly the same righteousness. Um, God has to close, clothe us in justification, uh, and that justification has to remain with us forever. According to Jeremiah 23, Jesus had to be a man, a branch of David, or he could not represent man to God. He had to be one of us, but he had to be Jehovah God himself to represent God to men. And of course, Jesus was perfectly man, perfectly God, without confusion, yet without division. And here's how Isaiah describes this remarkable work. It says that God the Son had to come to earth, take on human nature, and he had to become a man while never ceasing to be God, and he had to bear our sins. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus became our substitute. God's righteous wrath, his righteousness, made him pour out his wrath upon his son, uh, his beloved son, punish him for everything that we have ever committed. And by the way, the realization that Jesus got punished, he suffered for every one of our sins, should make us hate our sins all the more. And in turn, Jesus gave us a load of righteousness. We're treated legally as if we have done every righteous deed that Jesus ever did. That's justification. And that all is wrapped up in that name, Jehovah Tzidkenu, 
That name means that every righteousness we could ever need, whether legal or experiential, comes from Jesus. And because justification covers over our sanctification, our good deeds, which are also produced by His grace, can be seen as righteous and holy, even though they're imperfect. Okay, so justification and sanctification have to go together. So we come worthily to the Lord's table only as we have Jehovah's perfect righteousness. And if you are clothed in the garments of his righteousness, you can come boldly to the table, you can come to the table with absolute joy. So make this meal your pledge that you will look to Jehovah Tzidkenu and not despair by looking at yourself. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ so thankful that your righteousness is sufficient for us. And I pray that as we come to this table, that we would cast away our discouragements, that we would cast away our despair or anything else that uh, makes us want to give up or throw in the towel, and that we would fix our eyes on Jesus knowing that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. May we put our trust in you as Jehovah Tzidkenu. Thank you, Lord.